Take a network break, pull up a chair, pass around the virtual donuts, and join us for our weekly dissection of IT news. we got stories today from Amazon, Cisco, and Huawei, plus some space networking and more. We're sponsored today by Palo Alto Networks. You can join Palo Alto Networks for a virtual event where they'll unveil what's next in SASE with the latest innovations in Prisma SASE, ZTNA 2.0, and SD-WAN. You can see how these new capabilities help your customers consolidate multiple point products into a single platform to reduce TCO. Learn how they'll also help automate costly and complex IT operations and stop zero-day threats in real time. You can sign up at start.paloaltonetworks.com slash sassy-signature-moment-2023 or find that link in the show notes that accompany this podcast episode 424. Um, by the way, we're uh, proud to announce we've got a new podcast coming on the network. We've got a wireless podcast coming up on the network, which is very exciting. It's something that we've wanted to um, add to the portfolio because wireless networking is different to physical networking. So we'll have an announcement closer to the launch date, which is probably going to be in three or four weeks. And we'll tell you more about the name and who's hosting it for us when it gets there. But get ready for it. It won't be part of the main feed. It'll be standing alone. So you'll have to subscribe to it separately. So I wanted to give you some warning that it's coming. Yep, but we're excited to be uh, talking about more stuff, more technology, including now uh, a standalone uh, wireless networking show. Um, we also have a ton of other shows if you're interested. Uh, things like Day2 Cloud, Heavy Networking, IPv6 Buzz, Full Stack Journey, and Heavy Strategy. Uh, it's all available at packapushers.net. Oh, yeah, it doesn't have any of us in it. It's completely <laughs> not. Because <laughs> you'd be tired of listening to us. Could be a selling know. point. We, we're not sure, but to check it yeah. out if you want to hear some different voices. I don't know enough about wireless and Wi-Fi to make to to. I know enough to be dangerous, but that's about it. Not enough to host a podcast, certainly. <laughs> yes, yes. The person we've got knows what they're talking about. So. Yeah. Yep. All right. Uh, to the news, Amazon has opened its Sidewalk network to developers. Sidewalk targets the Internet of Things with a long-range, low-bandwidth network that's supposed to be cheaper and acquire less power than Wi-Fi and, and 4G, 5G. It's intended to connect things like environmental sensors, smart locks, uh, cameras, and wearables to the cloud. Yeah. So this is something that's been on the cards for a while. I think we spoke about this in episodes maybe 18 months ago, I want to say, 18 months to two years ago that Amazon had announced it. And uh, since then, of course, Apple's released its AirTag network and its protocol that lets people scan for things. And I think Amazon has been watching what happens there because Apple's done a very good job of successfully having AirTags and tracking of iPhones and um, AirPods and various Apple devices. You can see where they are in the world. You know, mm -hmm. no doubt everybody's seen the headlines. I tracked my, I lost my luggage on an airplane and it was found in a worker's hayana or Yes. You know, yes. In, a, in a dumpster behind a charity <laughs> shop or something. Right. right? Yes. Um, but uh, the Apple network is restricted to Apple devices only. So there's no opportunity to sort of move outside of a fairly controlled and managed ecosystem. Whereas Sidewalk is very much different to this. And to, it's going to use all of its network of Alexas and ring doorbells and uh, alarm systems and so forth and enable them with a protocol that will be sort of like blue bluetooth low energy it sends out pings on a regular basis and if you've got a sidewalk enabled device then you'll be able to track where it is so you'll be able to track your dog you'll be able to track uh, your android phones presumably because that's the sort of thing that you would probably start to see being put into android phones um and that sort of thing so there's a whole angle here around privacy but what before we talk about the privacy part because i know drew that you're a rampant privacy nut job <laughs> I'd like to say advocate more than nut job, but sure, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> same, same. Same, same. Uh, <laughs> I do think there's a whole bunch of interesting products that could come out of here. Like if you think about asset tracking inside of a building, like where is the printer? Is it still in the building? Is it still being 
reported. Chairs, desks, you could track documents if you're a law firm. Potentially you could put, you know, some sort of a tracker onto a document and as portfolios get moved around an office, I believe a lot of law firms still rely on pieces of paper for a lot of things. Um, warehouses, of course, you could put types of tags on so that you could know where they are. Uh, you could put one on your stapler. I know that when I was in an office or used to be, everybody was always stealing my stapler. And uh, you could then go and track it down. That could be very valuable in some places, don't you think? Potentially dangerous. Uh, a lot of f- yeah. fistfights breaking out over stapler uh, reacquisition. Yeah. So I, I do think, you know, we've been watching companies like Meraki and Juniper and uh, Aruba have all been releasing tracking software of people inside of stores and public spaces yep. and private spaces, corporate offices and so forth. And they're able to watch people as they walk around and track the user experience. So we're already there in a sense that um, this sort of personalized tracking is actually going on and this moves it up to the next level. So I'm not 100% sure that there's something that that people are going to push back on, Drew. So uh, my understanding is that the sidewalk network is uh, essentially relying on Amazon devices. You mentioned this, like ring spotlights, mm. the floodlight cameras, and their Echo smart speakers, which actually serve as the gateways to the cloud and are providing that connectivity for you, uh, which means Amazon is essentially relying on its uh, own customers' Wi-Fi and broadband connections to build out this network. So it's, to me, it's more like a sort of a neighborhood-level uh, approach to networking. So I've if I've got... Mm a home security camera and I want to hook one up on my garage, but I can't, it, you know, it won't reach the Wi-Fi at home. Maybe it can connect to my smart doorbell instead and use that network. And then I've got, you know, in my garden, I, when I want to find out when the, the ground is dry, I have a sensor in there that will turn on the sprinklers, that kind of thing. It's meant to provide that sort of low power, low, um, but long bandwidth, long reach uh, connectivity to sort of blanket the neighborhood or like, where's my dog? My dog ran out of the house and I don't know where it is. I can mm. fire up an app and find out where the dog is, that kind of stuff. Um, and Amazon says it has coverage over 90% of the United States already because of the proliferation mm. of its devices into the consumer, into consumer hands. Yeah. So, which is interesting because if you think about how many parcels are being stolen off people's porches and so forth, mm-hmm. perhaps Amazon wants to see this so that, you know, every package goes out with a tag in it and... <laughs> They can actually track where it is in the delivery train. You know, I, I think the that's back of the truck. definitely part of this as well. Yeah. They will leverage that yeah. for their own delivery tagging for sure. Yeah, because we've seen a number of videos of people, you know, delivery drivers dropping something on somebody's front porch, taking a photo of it to show that it was delivered and then picking it up and walking away. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, this would sort of help you detect that because if it kept moving after it was delivered, then you might have, a, you, know, you get a key point at which to go and do an evaluation of what happened to that parcel. Um, the concern here for me is that Apple's very big on privacy and personal safety, and they've taken a lot of steps to make sure that, you know, if an AirTag is placed in somebody's car and it stays with you for an extended period, then your phone alerts and says, do you know there's an AirTag following you around? Right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> which is a way of, you know, sort of saying, and I think people accept that approach. Yes. But is Amazon going to take that sort of enlightened approach or is it going to be much more of what I, you know, I don't normally see Amazon as associated with privacy and personal safety. I see them much more aligned to a mercenary corporate value system and saying, how can I get the maximum amount of money for the minimum amount of effort? So I do have some concerns. Uh, I share some concerns. I should note that when Sidewalk first rolled out, again, because it's tied to Amazon devices like Echoes and and the Ring doorbell system, that you were automatically subscribed to the Sidewalk network, whether you wanted to or not uh, mm-hmm. as a consumer. And then people were mm-hmm. like, hey, uh, that's not cool. And Amazon's like, okay, all right, all right, fine. We'll make it opt in. So yes, their initial inclination yeah. is not toward your privacy or your safety. It's toward maximizing the value for Amazon. Yep. Yep. 
So we'll just have to see see if there's a public outcry. No doubt you, you know, you take it out there, and if people complain, you reevaluate. Yeah, I imagine. Hopefully, they've got it all worked out. I think yeah. the other side of this is the company's hoping Sidewalk will bring more developers into the cloud services ecosystem. It's offering uh, what it calls the AWS IoT Core for Amazon Sidewalk, which, according to Amazon, quote, lets developers access and configure their Sidewalk-enabled devices, and offers a broad range of AWS services developers are already familiar with. So it's another opportunity mm-hmm. for Amazon to bring developers onto AWS. Uh, by with this this sidewalk network opportunity yeah i mean the technology could be just incredibly exciting for very mundane purposes but like most technology can be cuts both ways right uh, links in the show notes if you want to read up on it uh ha proxy it's the open source load balancer has announced version 2.7 of its enterprise version of the software among new features and latest version of support for uh quick and http3 uh quick if you're not familiar with it it's transport layer protocol it's got a speedier handshake and key exchange setups faster than TCP. So the idea is that you can improve performance of apps and services. It was originally developed by Google, and it's now an IETF draft. Yeah, I, my instinctive response here is that Har Proxy seems to be well behind the curve here. Quick and HTTP3 has been around for a long time now, I think like four or five years. Mm-hmm. And since it sort of made its way to a prominence in the IETF, and it's even had a number of different revisions and a number of the core uh, RFCs in the ITF have been expanded to include uh, multiple streams, quality cost services uh-huh. with inside of the available bandwidth and so forth. And um, to sort of say you finally got there feels a little bit slow to me, Drew. Um, and I'll also query the press release says it quick accounts for 8.7% of web traffic. Uh-huh. I'm going to go that's not. I'm going to go that that's not exactly right. I would say that more than 50% of my browsing is quick enabled, mainly because the CDNs are all using quick front ends to get accelerate the user traffic and improve performance because it uses less resources on their servers. And so I'm going to question that and say, how did they count that? Because it feels much, much more than that. Yeah, they're citing another uh, source. Uh, they didn't do the research themselves, so we would have to take that up with uh, whoever they cited, which... We'll have the link in the show notes if you want to look it up. I think they're not necessarily too late here. I mean, it is open source. It's going to take some time to to bring these things into uh, the product. And I think, you know, uh, Google has put Quick into Chrome. That's how they're using Chrome. It, it Quick mm. is supporting apps like YouTube. Meta is using Quick and so on. But I think HA Proxy isn't late to the game here with their Quick support because I'm not hearing about Quick from other low balancing companies either. So it may be that. No, I think they've all got it already. That, that's it's, the thing. it's possible they could already have it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, like I'm Google announced that quick support for HTTPS load balancing was added to their products in 2018. And I know it's been in Chrome since that same sort of time mm-hmm. frame. Mm-hmm. So this feels like Har Proxy is a bit behind the curve here. That said, Har Proxy does make a really good replacement for uh, heritage load balancers. And that's pretty much where it's focused. It's a service mesh and load balancer. One of the things that we've seen with most heritage load balancer companies or application delivery controllers, they've now adapted what is basically their proxies because that's what they all, all uh, load balancers and application delivery controllers are fundamentally protocol proxies. Uh, most of them have gone down the path of security, chasing the security market uh-huh. and then gone on to add SD-WAN and remote access and SASE to those products in some level. And Har Proxy is still focused very much on the, we move packets around the network and I don't know why they're quite so slow. I do still, I'm going to stand by my comment. Feels late, but uh, it's often used as a replacement for heritage load balancers or application delivery controllers when you don't want or need the features that, you know, F5 and all those companies have labeled or loaded on top of their boxes. Right. 
and you kind of can't get away from it. When you really just want, I want this, then Harproxy is the better choice. It's a focused product. Right. And they do have a supported enterprise version and I think an appliance version as well, uh, if you mm. are looking for that. All right, links in the show notes. We will move on. Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden issued an executive order prohibiting the use of commercial spyware by the U.S. government that, quote, poses risks to national security or has been misused by foreign actors to enable human rights abuses around the world. Yeah, this, if I read this right, Drew, this is um, basically saying that the U.S. federal government can't, but anybody else can't because an executive order doesn't have the power to change state government or local governments or commercial enterprises. Is that right? That's correct. Right. So I sort of take this um, as a signal from the executive branch of government that the use of commercial spyware is not acceptable as a social construct, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And if people continue to use it, then more will be done. Do you know, the politicians, you know. (laughs) um, So it's sort of signaling that the use of commercial spyware is being watched by the government and, and, and the executive branch. And this is sort of like a, a first step in a government of saying, yes, we're worried about it, so let's take some steps. Now, I've, you know, we've talked about political processes in the past. They tend to start off like, yes, we think this is a bad idea in public, and then it goes like, mm, we need to do something about it, and then you start doing something about it, and then you keep ratcheting up the, the sort of, you don't want to get to making a law about something, because if you think about it, the concept of spyware you could very easily end up with a legal definition that actually defines Facebook and TikTok as spyware. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> because it's kind of hard to, there's a very thin line between collecting data for targeted advertising or delivering relevant content and commercial spyware. So I'm not 100% sure um, that, you know, you, you wouldn't want to go down that path unless you're forced to, I don't think. Uh, my take is that the general intent seems to be setting ground rules for commercial vendors who are hoping to sell spyware to the U.S. government and U.S. government agencies. Essentially, you can do that as long as you also don't sell it to governments or entities that are going to use the spyware against the U.S. or use mm. it for purposes like you know uh, tracking political dissidents or engaging in human rights abuses. So it's, I think, a sort of shot across the bow of commercial spyware vendors like, you want to sell to the U.S.? We're putting some ground rules down. It also doesn't say anything about restrictions on the u.s government developing its own private spyware and using that i assume Mm. that is still fair game yeah i would imagine so so if we think back to pegasus and the israeli company that was you know installing selling the software to anybody and anyone and it was used to supply on various elements of the u.s government right so i think this puts them on a different basis and it also says if you're going to as a federal government agency if you're going to buy and use this software there's some rules to be associated with that so just a signal, I think, that this is now becoming an issue for Western governments and we might see some further crackdowns. So if you're a corporate company and you're buying spyware and you do business with the federal government, you might want to think carefully or get some your legal team involved to see where you sit. Yep, for sure. And if you want to spell, sell spyware to the US government, don't don't think about selling it to, to China and, and South, or North Korea and Russia and so on. That's, <laughs> I think that's, yeah, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> off the menu now. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to have a global market right. going forward, for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Palo Alto Networks. Uh, we are sponsored by Palo Alto Networks and their Prisma Sassy. 2023 is the year when companies will need to do more with less. 
As businesses grapple with economic uncertainty, it's more critical than ever to consolidate fragmented security and networking solutions to reduce operational complexity and costs. You can join Palo Alto Networks for a virtual event this April. They're going to unveil what's next in SASE with the latest innovations in Prisma SASE, ZTNA 2.0, and SD-WAN. You can see how these new capabilities will help you consolidate multiple point products into a single platform to cut your TCO. You'll also learn how they'll help automate costly and complex IT operations and stop zero-day threats in real time. See how ZTNA 2.0, Cloud Secure Web Gateways, and SD-WAN deliver exceptional security and ROI. Sign up for this virtual event at start.paloaltonetworks.com slash sassy-signature-moment-2023, and we'll have that link in the show notes. Uh, moving on, Cisco's announced the end-of-sale and end-of-life notices for Cisco Prime Infrastructure Appliances and Software. Cisco Prime Infrastructure was a unified management platform for wired and wireless Cisco products. Cisco would like you to migrate to DNA Center instead. Yeah, which is interesting. It sometimes surprises me how internal politics at big companies turns out. Um, for a long time, Cisco Prime was the leading market management platform from the Cisco Enterprise BU. And Cisco's DNA Center, or DNAC, was often criticized by customers for being buggy, uh, poor product support. It only worked on certain hardware, and it was trying to do too much with too little. It was trying to manage servers and firewalls and you know all this sort of stuff. And it actually worked really badly and it used to crash a lot. Uh, didn't do a lot of things that it was promised that it would. And so to, for me to see Cisco Prime going EOL, knowing that, that it was a better product that somehow has survived and now become mainstream, is a little bit notable to me because of DNAC. So I went in and dug into it. And Cisco is saying that DNAC is an intent-based networking platform. So it's IBN, whereas Cisco Prime is more of an NMS. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think somewhere inside the internal organization, someone's um, there's been an internal battle for who survives and Prime lost and uh, DNAC won. So I sure hope that it's been overhauled and the development team has been able to significantly improve the product and make it stable and reliable. Uh, I understand the platform behind it was something to do with it. They didn't have a solid base on which to work at a technology stack. So hopefully it's been overhauled. But uh, I'm kind of sad to see Prime go because it did work as a unified management engine. Yeah, so the last day to buy hardware, software, and licenses is uh, in September of 2023. And the last day for security updates will be September 2025. And the very last day of uh, software support and any kind of support is in 2028. Uh, so you do have a runway if you're still on Prime uh, to figure out what to do next. I did uh, look around in some Reddit forums and stuff, it does seem like there's some big uh, Prime mm. infrastructure fans out there who aren't psyched about moving to DNAC, uh, complaining about, mm. you know, lack of feature parity and lack of some capabilities that they were hoping were there. So I think Cisco still has some work to do on that front. Yeah, yeah. And that would, you know, that's what I was trying to say earlier is <laughs> right. DNAC was not the winner. <laughs> <laughs> but, there's, but there's been an internal push that has pushed DNAC to the top of the pile and we don't know what the machinations yeah. were, but... Uh, yeah, I, I would have said that both of them shouldn't have ever, ever existed. There should have been one or the other, not both ever. How a, a business unit inside an organization can produce two fundamentally identical products is a bit, you know, sort of strange to me. But um, Cisco is rationalizing its product portfolio. It's getting much more focused as to what it picks up and runs with. And this is very much targeting the mid-enterprise. And, you know, you don't really need Cisco ACI if you've got DNAC. You can run a data center network quite nicely. You can also run the WAN and, and the campus stuff to some extent. Um, so it does make sense to just have less products and putting more effort behind them instead of having multiple business units, you know, under-investing in their products over the time. So I think this is good. This will be good in the end. Either that or it'll break Cisco. So I think eventually they'll get it right. Yep. 
Uh, link in the show notes if you want to go see the official Cisco notification for yourself. Uh, moving on, Huawei has announced that uh, Meng Wanzhou will be the new rotating chair of the organization from April through September of 2023. Uh, Huawei has a rotating chair uh, structure, and this puts her in the top leadership position of the country at least until September of 2023. Uh, she is also the daughter of the company's founder. Yeah, if you don't, uh, if you read the press release, it actually talks about Sabrina Meng, mm-hmm. uh, which apparently is another name for Meng Wanzhou. Meng Wanzhou, of course, was the uh, Huawei executive who was detained in Canada right. for nearly three years of house arrest um, pending extradition to the United States. And eventually, um, Huawei and Meng and a large suit, a lot of press bylines, uh, she eventually reached a settlement with the U.S. Department of Justice resolving a case of alleged fraud. If you want to find out more about that, do a Google search and you can find more. Uh, but in this case, uh, up until now, Huawei is an unusual company in that it's actually owned by the people. It's not a for-profit company. In theory, all of the profits are actually directed back to the employees um, and does, of course, have very quite explicit direct links to the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. But um, And it also, as a technology company, it has over half the patents around 5G. And this week had a range of announcements around its plans for 6G. Uh, they're looking to start driving 6G deployments in China as soon as 2025 or 2026. Can you believe that? That's just like <laughs> like what, another feature just, I don't know, seems crazy to me. Anyway, the chairperson position is a rotating position, has traditionally been between uh, the two owners, Reng Zhengfei and Zhu Huao, and he, they to see um, Reng Zhengfei's daughter suddenly be rotated in as the executive suggests that she will be selected as the long-term successor. The two other founders of the business must be quite old by now. They must be in their mid-80s, I would think. Um, But anyway, you can look all that up. It's just unusual to see uh, Huawei making this this lady, who was the public face, the leader of Huawei. So it sort of cements the fact that China is willing to take on the world at face value and say, okay, Huawei's not able to be used in Western countries. We can put somebody who had, you know, a very significant case of fraud alleged and we can put them in charge of Huawei. So there we go. Yeah, I have to wonder if there's a little bit of a sort of thumb in the eye to the U.S. Like, you know, mm. you detained her, but we're putting her at the top of the company. So, yeah, yeah, a little, a little <laughs> stick in right. the eye. Uh, I, I also want to note that Huawei posted its annual financial results. Revenues were up just 0.9%, but Huawei executives are touting this as a sign of stability because U.S. export controls have hammered the company's business, particularly the smartphone division. But Reuters reports the company says it's been able to replace more than 13,000 parts affected by those controls and increasing investment in homegrown development and chips and other components. Um, so Huawei feels like it's uh, back on track now. Hmm. I think it's, I mean, that's a, that's a big claim considering that this week Japan announced <laughs> that it will restrict the sale of various types of chips to China. Yes. Um, in the same way that uh, uh, Holland, the Dutch government, restricted the sale of ASML products to China as well and a number of other countries. Um, so, yes, they can say that, but I think that they're going to have a much tougher time going forward because a large number of the chips that were in their smartphones did actually come from countries like you know Japan and, and required manufacturing equipment that they would source from Germany and Holland. Uh, and that is, that, that, um, is changing as the impact of... You know, the Russian war takes up and the recent statements from China to say, we expect to be at war. They literally said that this week. Did you know that? I did not know Horrifying. that. No. Yeah. Mm. Oh, dear. That's not good. 
Uh, anyway, moving on, networking starting at Graphient has raised $62 million in a Series B round to help build out its private networking service. Uh, founded by former Viptela and Cisco executives, the company has raised $96 million over two rounds in total. Uh, Graphient straddles SD-WAN and networking a service. It's targeting edge and branch connectivity, and it sends your traffic across a private network backbone that it operates. Yeah, more a commitment that they've got a first pass of the product. We've done a, a couple of shows with them talking about their products and their solutions, uh, so you should refer to those, but very focused on enterprise connectivity and the idea of using the public WAN as a backbone. So they're not just doing SD-WAN, they're happily able to connect data centers, off-prem clouds, branches, machines, and so forth, and partners. So more of a a network as a service offering, Mm -hmm. but perhaps a little bit broader than some. So if they can pull in 100 million funding in the current climate, they must be showing some success. So something to keep an eye on. Yeah, they say they're borrowing concepts from MPLS and segment routing around encapsulation so customers can program routes through the network using label-based metadata. They're taking a slightly different approach than the typical overlays you find in SD-WAN. And they say that by not having those uh, overlays or encapsulations that they can get higher performance. I think there's probably a religious uh, argument about what constitutes an overlay or encapsulation, but we'll leave that for another day. <laughs> oh, we had a three and a half hour show about this 15 years ago. <laughs> Is MPLS a tunnel? Yeah. <laughs> the conversation never dies. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend going to listen for it. But <laughs> it was long and, and very nerdy. Maybe so. Yeah. All right, let's wrap up with some space networking. Satellite internet provider OneWeb has successfully put 36 new satellites into low Earth orbit, which were launched from India. It now has 618 satellites in place and says it will start delivering global services by the end of the year. It's already providing satellite-based internet in the UK and Northern Europe. Yeah, good to see a competitor get up against Starlink. We need more competitors. I think uh, Blue Origin, which is, of course, Jeff Bezos's uh, space program to do the same sort of thing, is... Uh, quite a, a couple of years behind, so in the sense that OneWeb is is getting up and being there available for co- for co- competition is good, I think for the for the market as a whole. I noticed that this week Starlink in Europe has advertised thirty percent price cut if you drop in. So maybe that's a bit of a knock some of the stuffing out of OneWeb if they have a thirty percent cheaper Starlink hub. Instead of paying five hundred dollars or the equivalent of five hundred US dollars, it's now. I think 350 or something like that, mm-hmm. which might be a sort of sign that they see them as a competitor and they don't want to let them get a foothold or maybe they can, they really just make so much money on it. They can afford to chuck a discount out there. But uh, I think for a lot of Europeans, the fact that OneWeb is owned by the British government at this point and will be partnered out with a range of other companies, like it's currently pursuing a merger, I think, Drew, with somebody. Yes, a merger with Utelsat, which sounds like yeah, a European so satellite uh, conglomerate. Yeah, so you might see a lot of European companies say we should be using OneWeb and not Starlink. Um, And so they might want to stop that from happening so that they don't uh, lose any potential revenue. I mean, that's the whole point of having more competitors in the space that consumers should benefit from things like, you know, lower prices and Mm -hmm. and different uh, differentiated services. Yeah. Yeah. That's the theory. (laughs) It's a theory. It's a a good theory. It is, generally. (laughs) It's generally proven out. It doesn't always prove out, but... Right. So... hmm. All right, that wraps up uh, our news. We don't have a Tech bites for the end of the show, so Greg, uh, where can folks get more from you if they're interested? Uh, I am blogging a number of these articles on my uh, etherealmind.com website. So if you think that I uh, show you my working and some of the links and uh, the thoughts that went into them, and uh, it's just because I think it's interesting to sort of see more exposure on that. Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, put uh, etherealmind.com in your RSS reader and you can catch those as they've published. 
and on Twitter is at Ethereal Mind, um, where I have been for a while, and uh, look forward to seeing you there. If you've got any messages you want to send me, don't hesitate to DM me and on Twitter. All right. I'm Drew Conry-Murray. I'm on Twitter at Drew underscore CM, and I blog on packetpressures.net. I'm also on Mastodon Social if you want to look me up there. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Palo Alto Networks, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Network Break. If you like the show, please give us a like on Facebook, leave a recommendation on Apple iTunes, or share a link with your friends. As always, thanks for listening.